The ultimate goal of sustainable fashion is to get into a circular economy where you basically only produce clothes that go back into the circular economy in the end. This was Nicolas Henny, co-founder, CEO and CMO at Nikin. Welcome to Startups and Sustainability, the podcast where Deloitte presents startups and scale-ups that aim at making the world more sustainable. I'm Daniel Laude and today I talk to Nikin's Nicolas Henny. Nikin is a Swiss fashion label that wants to make sustainable clothing affordable for everyone. They also plant a tree for each product that they sell. In March 2023, Nicolas and his team reached the milestone of 2 million trees. Recently, they have released their first circular product, the so-called Tree Shirt Circular. After using this t-shirt, you can return it to Nikin and they will industrially compost it. Nicolas invited me to Nikin's headquarters in Lenzburg, where we talked about their founding story, the idea to plant trees, and the balance between the costs of sustainable fashion and affordable prices for consumers. Enjoy our conversation. Nicolas, very happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me to your headquarters in, here in beautiful Lenzburg. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation and uh, for making all the way out from Zurich to here to the beautiful place of Lenzburg in Aargau. My pleasure, my pleasure. You've uh, studied business uh, originally in uh, St. Gallen at the University of St. Gallen. And then just a year after finishing your bachelor's, you decided to go into this, go into the fashion industry. What was your life at that point in time, what kind of things were you doing and how did this actually develop that you got this idea to start your own company, basically? I was actually starting my master's uh, degree again and kind of in the very beginning of my master's degree, I got the idea from Nikin and uh, I just got married uh, with my Brazilian wife. We moved to Winterthur because it was between St. Colin and Brook where she was studying. And uh, I saw a guy there wearing one of my products that was from a pre-project of Nikin. And this kind of brought me to the idea to just go and have a beer together with Robin, my, my co-founder. And so I did. And, uh, well, I basically just wanted to make a product with him that somehow combines style with utility. And so we started brainstorming. He said he just wants to put the tree on a product because he was in Canada and uh, walked through the forest and so on. And uh, we then said, oh, let's take a winter hat because it was cold. And then we had this beanie, like a beanie winter hat. Then we called it Trini because of the tree logo on it. And then we asked ourselves, hmm, what additional utility or value or whatever we could put into the product. And actually, it didn't take even a minute for us to think of the topic of tree planting because we're both scouts. We always cared a lot about uh, protecting nature, giving something back to nature. And yeah, then we had 60 winter hats, 60 Trinis and... From there on, it it then started. And you basically had the idea not only go into sustainable fashion, but also make it affordable to everybody to not have it as a niche industry there, but have sustainable fashion basically for everybody. What was the driver there from the from the idea from the starting? It's actually a good point because in the very beginning, sustainable fashion by itself was not our goal. It was because we did not understand or we didn't know what sustainable fashion is. We just wanted to give something back to nature. And then after one or two or three months, the first customers uh, gave feedback to us and said, hey, it's a very cool idea that you two scouts are planting trees. But hey, as long as your stuff comes from China, uh, it doesn't make sense. Maybe make sustainable fashion. We were like, okay, what does that exactly mean? And we Googled and we realized, okay, more, lo like more local production, more sustainable materials, organic cotton, and, 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 and. 
And then we also saw that it was pretty expensive, like when you looked at the brands that already existed at that point, and we wanted to target young people. So we realized there's, I don't know, I wouldn't say call it market gap or whatever, but we just realized that young people do not have options of sustainable fashion that are somehow affordable. And then we started to, besides planting trees, also focus on affordable, sustainable fashion. That's how it came. It was kind of, let's say, a push from our community and us then really going stronger into it and then a t-shirt came and then other products came and so on and so on so the tree was there before the whole sustainability idea already yeah. okay the core thing is nature at Nikin and it still is but we really focused and strong and still do on sustainable fashion did a lot of progress but it started with a tree in nature and how did you manage or balance this this challenge basically or also the trade-off between doing sustainable fashion, doing something, giving back something to nature, as you said before, and then facing also a yeah, higher production cost, higher sourcing mm -hmm. in general, just um, higher costs all in all for sustainable clothing. Yeah. And I mean, you already mentioned it in your question. It, it was a trade-off or we had to do or keep doing trade-offs, actually. For example, it wasn't possible in the beginning to just produce all the products you wanted in Europe. For example, we needed some certain minimum requirements or for certain products, there was almost no one who, who does it. For example, for these summer caps, it took very long until we found someone who could do good made in Europe caps. So right now, if you wanted to do a, let's say, more outdoor focused jacket, there's almost no one who really does it well in, in, in Europe. So these things take time and it was a process. For example, in the winter hats, we started with um, a Polish produ uh, producer, but it was made of acrylic, which is basically just, I don't know, made of oil. And we tested three or four different materials, also sold them and so on, until we found the one that we have now that is good, which is called Polilana. And uh, I think it's just a process. And what was important along the way was the transparent and open communication towards our community. Like we're always telling them, hey, we're not perfect, we're in the process, this and that we're trying to do. And I think that helped us a lot that we that we stayed, let's say, credible in a way uh, while we were trying to become more sustainable. And some products were, but some were not. And uh, yeah, that's how we keep going. We're not at a good level, but uh, sustainability never ends. It's a constant process. And I think you alluded to now one of the aspects already like transparency and, and transparent communication that is probably one of the issues actually in the, in, the, in the fashion industry especially making fashion more sustainable when we talk about bringing a collection a new collection every year a lot of waste maybe also bad production or labor conditions what would you say are the most most important most crucial points that you guys are trying to target with mm -hmm. your your idea of sustainable fashion let's say Mm. I mean, we also have a claim like we do made in Europe products made of sustainable materials. So therefore, we look very much uh, on to as local production as possible. But even here, we could also do certain shirts in Switzerland, but there it's too expensive. And the scale that we have right now, would, it will not work. We look at sustainable materials, try to also be innovative in a sense. For example, we were the first, one, first ones using this Polilana for a made in Europe product. And in general, I think the whole supply chain is, is important when it comes to sustainable fashion. From the person who, let's say, uh, harvests the organic cotton towards the one that makes the yarn, the garments, the fabric, whatever, to the one who produces it up to us. And there, actually, we're right now in the process of defining where we have the most impact in, in the very end. But so far, we just focused basically on materials, on the social aspects at the manufacturer's place and that 
uh, at, that it's locally produced. And what's your main understanding of sustainability in fashion? Like, what would be the end goal of, of Nike, you know, of having a truly sustainable, 100% sustainable fashion brand? Yeah, I think this answer is pretty clear. I mean, or first, let me say fashion by itself, and even sustainable fashion that you can buy nowadays from Patagonia and Co., I mean, it is still, let's say, worse for the planet to produce new stuff, and even from good brands, than they're not producing anything at all. Therefore, I believe one goal is, of course, to reduce consumption and to use more secondhand. But the ultimate goal of sustainable or sustainable fashion is to get into a circular economy where you basically only produce clothes that go back into the, yeah, to the circular economy in the end. And in our case now, we just released our first 100% circular uh, T-shirt, or we call it T-shirt. Um, it's made of uh, nanea. It's a it's a biodegradable form of polyester that kind of in the end gets comp uh, it's compostable but they're working on making a new yarn out of it and if you manage to produce a, a t-shirt once it's used once once it's i don't know worn out or whatever it gets sent back and the new yarn is made and the new t-shirt in the same quality is made i think this is the goal that kind of whatever you do it always stays within the let's say circle and that's not only for for fashion importance also for other industries extremely important but i think in fashion this has the biggest impact if if the whole world would only work towards circularity and many are though i think we would have way less problems yeah recently there was just a report out where also deloitte cooperated with a circular economy switzerland showing that of the swiss economy about seven percent is circular which means you have a more than 90% mm. gap or potential, if you want to say, in terms of, uh, in terms of circularity. So there you still have a huge market to capture, so to say, right? Definitely. But there's also not that many uh, suppliers yet of, let's say, a garden that is, let's say, where it's possible to, to do circular products out of it. So it's still an area where a lot of development and, and, uh, and innovation has to be done. But there are many who are doing things in that, but I do believe it takes quite some time until the fashion industry at least becomes really circular. And what do you say to the critics if some people say, okay, why does it need another company in the market? I mean, in the end, you're also producing on top, so to say, mm -hmm. or you're, you're maybe even creating an extra demand for a product that has not mm -hmm. been there before. What's your take on that to, to this criticism? Yeah, I mean, I think the criticism is, on the one hand, it's very fair because every additional clothing brand, every additional piece of clothing that is produced is theoretically not necessary. But at the same time, I, I believe on the other hand that you also have to change an industry from within in some way. I believe that by us offering affordable, sustainable fashion on a small scale, of course, we are putting a little bit of pressure on other brands. And I also think we're in some way inspiring at least private people like customers and, and then also companies to also do tree planting to maybe buy for their working clothes something from us and not from another brand. And this again then puts, let's say, pressure on the bigger fashion brands. And I do believe that that the more sustainable fashion brands help to inspire the whole industry and bring forward a movement towards more circularity and other things. And yeah, therefore, I think it's important that more brands and more uh, sustainable fashion brands actually pop up. But uh, the ultimate goal would be that, that uh, the big ones that have the biggest impact become more sustainable. And they're doing certain things, but I don't think it's fast enough. So you see your role as more kind of a 
innovator, disruptor of the industry, so to say? Yeah, I wouldn't call myself or ourselves a, let's say, the, the disruptors that are going to tackle and revolutionize and, and challenge the, or the fashion industry in general. I see ourselves more as the inspirational kind of part, or we're playing this part at least. We started to plant trees super, super early before many other companies did it. We were innovative in a certain way in using certain materials very early. But we're not the ones who are going to invent a completely new material, but more the ones who have, at least for Switzerland, a big reach. And by the actions and things we do, we're inspiring other companies or other brands. And they see our role more in that. I know you talked a few times already about your, one of your signature features, the, the tree planting. I think there's a bit of a misconception. We talked about this also mm -hmm. earlier um, when the microphone was not on yet, um, <laughs> about the fact-checking of your tree planting and also not that you guys necessarily go out and go here in the, in, in the backyard uh, of your offices and, and dig a hole. Can you go in, in detail about planting a tree for, for each product? Uh, how is it done? If I buy a product, what does that mean for the, mm -hmm. for the tree in the long run that's planted? And where is it planted? Yeah. I mean, like you already mentioned, we're not planting every single tree with our own hands. It's not that we get an order and then go into our backyard and plant it. Uh, we have a tree planting partner called One Tree Planted. It's a nonprofit from uh, North America. We've been working with them since day one. And um, well, how it basically works is we get the list of projects from them and recommendations in which projects we could, let's say, invest. For example, do we want one in Kenya? Do we want one in Oregon in the States or one in India or, or whatever? And we then decide together with them which product, projects we choose. And then from that moment on, um, we give them monthly payments. We pay them $1 per tree. So, for example, if in the last month we sold 10,000 articles, we pay them $10,000. And they, they make sure then that these trees are planted. And uh, what they do is they give us, of course, more info, like what is the impact? Is it also an economic impact or not? They send pictures if they have. And um, we then ourselves just go two or three times a year to a tree planting site, check it. Like in the next few weeks, we go to Denmark, for example. And we also sometimes plant trees ourselves in Switzerland, but uh, it's too expensive. Like five to 10 francs for a tree is too much for a pair of socks of, let's say, 12 francs. And also the reforestation in Switzerland works pretty well, or reforestation just keeping it at the level how it is. So that's how we're doing it in the end with a partner. And another very interesting idea, I think, that was also maybe meant not primarily from a sustainability perspective, but you started financially speaking with 5,000 francs. You've started your business, not taking any external funding, but taking everything from refinancing the cash flow and, and the revenues that you have. How did this come about? Because you, you both, Robin and you, you had uh, initially, you also had other positions or other jobs at mm -hmm. the time when you founded the business, right? Yeah, I mean, I have to maybe mention here that we didn't start Nikin uh, thinking of, oh, this is our full-time thing. This will be a big thing. We're going to do that for years. We just did it on the side and we were happy to do something together finally. So we didn't have any business plan. We just uh, met once, twice or three times. And then within five weeks, we had our product, our website live. And we were just surprised about the demand and how, how much people liked it. And yeah, we started with 5,000 francs, and this worked to scale up to over 10 million in revenue profitably. Um, it worked because we started to focus on performance marketing, meaning Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google ads, and so on, like since day one. And it was a time where it was way cheaper and there was way less competition. So I saw this chance in like, 
hey, many companies are not doing it. We have to go all in on that. And there were sometimes days where, let's say, we had 10,000 francs in our bank account and we spent two or 3,000 francs on Facebook ads, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? You would think like in three days it'd be, we'd be bankrupt. But I knew exactly what, like behind the numbers, what it meant. And I knew that more money would come back in a day or two that we could afford that. And this somehow worked out and we're still strong in online marketing. And I think without this chance, we would not have been able to bootstrap like so far. And yeah, now we're at the level where we want to go to the next step. We make revenue between 10 and 15 million a year and we want to grow more internationalized and we were asking ourselves, hey, shall we do that? And if so, we need money or shall we just stay small and stay like we are? And we decided for the growth case, but we decided to go for a crowd investing, which means, or crowdfunding, which means we sell shares, but not to VCs and whatever. We sell it to private people, to our community. And we just closed that round and we managed to get 5 million Swiss francs in funding um, from 4,000, let's say, private investors. And what I'm especially proud of is the fact that out of every canton of Switzerland, there's at least one investor, meaning Niki now belongs to all Switzerland, basically. And you also have quite the the representation already in in, in terms of customer base. I think I heard the number that every 50th uh, Mm -hmm. person in, in Switzerland has already bought from Nikin or as a, as a, a Nikin customer in that sense, right? Yeah, we have uh, over 200,000 customers in Switzerland, around 80,000 in Germany. We have 300,000 followers on, on social media if we combine everything together. We have 450,000 email addresses and, 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 and. And all of these things helped a lot, of course, in a crowd investing, in a crowdfunding. Without a strong community, it's not easy to, to, raise, to raise 5 million just by, from, from private people. And uh, also that has always been a focus, the feedback from our community, also doing events with the community. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll talk later about that, but there's, there's a lot of things we're doing with them. And uh, I think that was one also of the main pillars of, let's say, our success in some way. And you mentioned now already once or twice about the interna- internationalization strategy going into Germany, different markets, I, th- I think. I'm, I'm assuming you did not just take Germany uh, because it was the closest one here, ge- geographically speaking, and went into that market. But can you maybe talk a little bit about that strategy? How did you pick that market or what markets are you considering also for the future? Um, well, when we started uh, internationalizing, I mean, it was on a, on a small level. It was in the end of 2018. And what we did is we just opened an international shop and we were doing performance marketing in whole Europe. We were just uh, wanting to see where the Facebook algorithm shows our ads and where people buy. And this worked more or less. We slightly profitably could do that, but then we had, I don't know, 300 customers in Denmark, 400 in Spain, 2,000 in Austria, 10,000 in Germany, and maybe 100 in Sweden or whatever, and realized it's not going to work. We need to have a certain density of customers at some point that people start talking um, about us and that this kind of word of mouth uh, magic does its does its thing and uh, and that we become a, a known brand. So we then decided to focus on, I think it was Germany, Austria, France, and Italy. Then we realized it's still too much. Then we just focused on Germany and Austria. Then we just focused on Germany. And then we realized, you know what? Also, Germany is too big. We just focused on southern Germany. And then we started to do specific branding campaigns and stuff and so on. And and at some point, we opened again for whole Germany. But I think that's important that you really focus. And many brands made the same mistake, for example, only in the United States that you just target the whole country. It's better to start to have a base, for example, in New York, rather than targeting everything. And uh, 
And yeah, right now, actually last year, performance marketing got way more expensive. So we were not that profitable in Germany. And right now we're reconsidering like where we should go because Germany in the fashion industry is a not so nice market. There's uh, a lot of price pressure, a lot of competition. Half of the market is, of the fashion market is from, uh, let's say marketplaces such as Zalando, About You, Amazon and so on. We're not a big fan of these platforms, are not on them yet, but yeah, we're not sure. So we're actually at the moment rediscussing our interna internationalization strategy and um, yeah, we'll see. And what kind of other countries would you then, because I also imagine mm -hmm. Germany is quite, mm -hmm. to some extent, similar in, in the sense, maybe not the price pressure, as you said, mm -hmm. but uh, from also a development into sustainability. What other countries do you mm -hmm. see there on the, on, the, on the horizon or as a possible market for you? I mean, Germany is quite similar, yeah, but in the end, the culture is still quite different in certain things, at least. I have to say German clients are way more demanding than Swiss clients, which is interesting. In what sense? In uh, wanting information, in when they're not 100% happy, even if it's just 5% of happy, into demanding that we give them something and so on, they have higher returns. And, and, and uh, I mean, I don't want to say they're worse or better, but I just think they're more demanding. But uh, we're looking at other markets such as uh, Austria that will fit also when it comes to nature perception. We're looking at Benelux, like uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, but also at Scandinavia. We're also this topic of protecting nature and standing up for it would fit. But also we're looking at, uh, let's say, markets like Japan or, or South Korea. For example, from Japan, we already got quite a few times requests if someone could build up a brand there. We said no um, at this point because they like Swiss products a lot. And uh, I also know quite some stories of fashion brands that were successful there. But yeah, we're now in this discussion phase because we raised money for that and we don't want to just spend it on a not profitable performance marketing in Germany and lose the money of our crowd investors. That's why we're taking our time at the moment. I mean, you have the general challenge, of course, coming from a smaller country, from Switzerland. You don't want to limit yourself to the small market here, but internationalize. But then, I guess, as a, as a company that, that produces sustainable clothing, sustainable products in general, what you said before, it's very important to have transparency, to have an authentic brand. There's a danger of losing control, as you said, or diluting your brand. Is that something you... I mean, I, I just think that it's very important that when you internationalize, and we didn't do that so far, that you have a local team of people who understand it and people that are hired by you. Uh, that's why this other person or these other people in Japan that would not be hired by us building up our brand, this I wouldn't do. I would really want to build up a team there. And of course, you have to change certain things. For example, if we have Japan and South Korea as a market, or if we had that, we'd be producing in Asia, because then it makes sense to have made in China, made in, I don't know, wherever, um, production of great companies, of course. And yeah, in Germany, for example, it's interesting to see that our story that we tell in Switzerland, of course, doesn't resonate as much there as here. I'm not talking about the sustainability and the tree. I'm talking about the fact of that we were scouts, that we with a beer in Landsberg, as small, cute, uh, Argauer, whatever, like built that up. This was a cool story in Switzerland that a lot of people liked and, and they identified with. But in Germany, they have a bit less a connection to us as people. Therefore, the, the way how we position ourselves there has to be slightly different and yeah, I think if done right, I think it can work very well. But uh, but yeah, challenge it is. Another challenge or interesting fact from your founding story that I read about 
neither you nor Robin, your co-founder, you originally came from this industry. You guys were pretty much, uh, if I may say, clueless coming, <laughs> coming into this. What would you say were some, some of the major challenges, not only going into the sustainability, um, you had two challenges, right? In that sense, you were going into the sustainability market, which is challenging as it is, but also going into an industry, the fashion industry that is very tough to, um, to survive in and combining these, these two basically together. What were the main challenges and learnings that you had from this journey so far? Well, I think that it's good sometimes to just do something, to just try something out, uh, regardless of the industry telling you that it's not the way to go. Um, so this attitude, I think, was important. For example, we never really had uh, poly bags. Poly bags are these plastic bags around T-shirts and so on. We just told uh, our manufacturer, hey, you can leave them away. And he was like, no, that's normal. Uh, you should do it to protect the product and blah, 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 blah. We said, no, I don't think we need it. And up until now, we never needed it. And uh, so that's good to have a bit of this, let's say, also clueless, we just do it, we just try it out attitude. And um, I think what I also learned is that that there's no, in sustainability, there's no definition that is accepted by everyone in the world, like for what sustainability actually stands for. Everybody has his or her own definition. And then I learned that you cannot focus on every single thing because it was a time where we tried to take serious every single feedback of every single customer, but you cannot uh, change the world, improve yourself in every single area. That's why you have to define, um, let's say, focus topics where we really have the biggest impact. And um, I also learned, or an interesting observation is five, six, seven years ago, a lot of European manufacturers were not ready yet to, to try to invest themselves also time into more sustainable production. Like a lot of times we heard back, hey, we can do it uh, for you made of recycled jeans or whatever, but it's waste, it's garbage. You just make a product of garbage. You need to be aware of that. And this mindset shifted a lot in the last years, also during COVID. And now the ones who then invest the time are now sometimes even changing into using it for marketing purpose for themselves. Like, hey, we are sustainable, we produce sustainab sustainably. And uh, yeah, that was maybe not a learning, but an interesting observation, I think. And yeah, there's also more, but I think these were, were probably interesting. Yeah. And now looking forward, if you say for the next couple of years where's the the outlook you talked about growth earlier but if you think more in dream big so to say where do you say where do you see nikin go in the next two three maybe also five years instead kind of a road roadmap if you were to no. draw it out now i mean of course we want growth we want to internationalize and also grow in terms of, of revenue employees and so on um We obviously want to plant more trees. We also obviously want to develop ourselves further when it comes to sustainability, especially the topic of uh, circular fashion is obviously a big one. We talked about that already earlier. There we did now the first step with our circular um, tree shirt, but obviously more will follow. But then the very end, what I want the most is I kind of want to build a big or even bigger community to plant trees and to protect nature and do a lot of kind of, let's say, climate action with them, not climate action, how people are thinking of reading the news right now, but by cleaning up cities, cleaning up uh, forests or planting trees in Switzerland or in Germany and so on and so on. And my vision or dream is that at some point we have a big enough community that we can easily activate to do good stuff, but also that we, let's say, have a foundation or club or whatever where they kind of themselves organize themselves to do, let's say, not climate or climate action, nature action. And uh, I hope that we really build a a self-organized community that helps to protect nature. And if we, if we achieve that, then I'm happy.
And do you see this community independent of the clothes or is that something still would that be a like a side foundation side club or is it still connected that you say for every um, product sold one franc one dollar or whatever goes into an activity that uh, that goes in that direction I see it a bit more separate. I mean, at this moment, 4% of our revenue goes into tree planting and maybe 1% into other sustainable activities. And I think that's already a lot, actually, 5% of our revenue. And uh, right now we're just inviting them to do stuff with us and we organize it. And in the future, I imagine it that we have a, let's say, club where all of the ones that we want, our clients, of course, are in there, but also others. And maybe you pay, I don't know, 10 francs per year membership fee in the club by itself, led by a community member decides and what is going to be done with that money. And um, if, if we do, let's say, if we're profitable and have a lot of profits, and obviously we will also donate on top of tree planting and so on money into that foundation. It's kind of like how Patagonia is doing it. I feel like they're the, the brand that does sustainable fashion, yeah, but they're mostly the ones that, that do profits in order to invest into good stuff. While there's other brands that do it differently and uh, yeah, they're one ahead too. So also in this, you want to be circular or let's say holistic in the sense that it's not only about clothing, but about a whole lifestyle, right? Like all the activities that are, yeah. that are part of life. Okay. In important to say, though, is we are not, let's say, hardcore echo, echo guys. We ourselves are people who care truly about nature and we believe that each and every person kind of needs to figure out by him or herself where he or she has the biggest impact. So I don't think that the whole world should not be flying anymore and no one should eat meat and uh, you should never be in a car and whatever. I think you have to see for yourself what makes sense the most. And if you find the points where you can have big impact and do it, and some of all the small things that we do as, as private people in the end, this sums up to a lot. And I think that that is how we see it. So I wouldn't, just because you said it in a way that it could also be understood like we want to create a cult or something. Yeah. It's not that we want to go there. We really want to just have the people that care about nature and activate them and make them activate themselves uh, within a club or something. That's a place where I want to go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope there will be many more trees planted, many more products sold wherever they might come from your your sales either from switzerland germany or any new any new markets i wish you all the best nicolas thank you very much daniel